Real professional move there, starting the podcast without the mic, but uh, Ingram Smith and Bud Elliott back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Forgive us as we're uh, kind of doing this in different location this morning, but uh, as always, want to get you guys out a podcast that is timely, and we'll spend a little bit of time looking back at the NC State game and uh, kind of give it our final thoughts on that. And... Um, you know, we have a couple listener questions to talk about, some recruiting conversation. This won't be the longest snowcast, but uh, excited to do it as always and excited to be able to pair with good people like uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce and Tarpon Sellers. Tarpon Sellers is a uh, fantastic sponsor for us and a great option for you if you're looking for any kind of last-minute holiday gifts, uh, really some of the better red wines uh, that are out there and a fantastic, you know, supporting uh Supporting cast of options, so tarponsellers.com, coupon code NOLCAST, 20% off. And, uh, Bud, let's uh, let's jump into it. Yeah, man. Uh, where, do you, where do you want to start tonight? I'm glad we were able to uh, to do this, and I said tonight, but it's actually uh, this morning. Uh, there's uh, just a lot of notes I, I, I took. I, I got a chance to rewatch the full NC State game. And uh, if you had told me that they definitely weren't going to have Jordan and – and they didn't have that many guys at practice. I don't know that a different result should have been expected. And you know, this is not a beat your chest moment, but we both predicted losses. And I don't know if you play that game a bunch of times under those circumstances. I, I'm a little bit hard pressed to find a whole lot of those outcomes. You know, you played it like a hundred times. I don't know how many you really win. Yeah, I, I think there's quite a few more that you lose by more than you did. I agree. I agree with that, certainly. I think there's a part of me, and obviously last weekend just made how valuable Jordan is very, very clear to everyone. Uh, And you've heard that a lot, and people that have said that are certainly accurate. There's a part of me that really would have liked to have seen what it would have uh, just looked like, even if you could have had Gibbons and Baby on. And and I'm not trying to make those guys into something that they're not, uh, but... Bavion's a pretty decent guard, in my opinion, and Gibbons has been impressive, both in his level of play and the toughness that he's displayed and, you know, going out there at times where it was questionable. So, obviously, if, you know, those guys aren't playing, there's a reason. And uh, with all due respect to to Love Taylor, um, a good player last year and a shell of what he was last year now. It's just, uh, you know, when you when you have Scott and Taylor starting at this point, really hard to do anything. Uh, and it was impressive to me how close the game was. Now, I do think that NC State helped you there. Um, this is not me trying to do my own instant reaction podcast, but, man, I was blown away by how frequently NC State's offense just tried to establish a running game for reasons that I have no no clear ideas to what they were doing. I, I put down in my own personal notes that if you tell NC State staff that they can only throw the ball five times in this game, I think they beat Florida State by 30. I mean, you run I, it five times. I'm sorry, run it. If they can only run it five times in the game, I think they beat Florida State by 30 points. I, I, I have some real questions as to what they were trying to do there and why, but ultimately they could have easily thrown for 500 yards. Easily, if they wanted to. Yeah. It was that, that part of it was a, was a bit of a mystery to me. And uh, glad, glad that it transpired, but. I know there's a whole lot of conversation about uh, fourth down decisions and stuff like that, and we can we can talk on that. I don't want to really get lost in the minutia of it. I, I think to an extent 
the fact that you can even sit here and debate a fourth down decision made in the third quarter is a is a bit of a minor miracle uh, when we talk about the parts that you don't have and you know the flu that made its way through both the football team and the broader community. But um, if anything, I. I I don't know, bud. I don't want to be reactionary guy. But if anything, I would be critical of Mike Norvell for not going for it more. And I know there's people that don't want to hear that. I know there's people that uh, look to fourth and four. If you if you and your heart of hearts think you should have punted that ball, I I get it. I you know I don't want to say I agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. Uh, but on the whole, when you're dealing with that quarterback and that offensive line um, and a defense who got some stops, but wasn't really going to stop them, particularly if they ever woke up to the ball that they could throw the ball whenever they wanted to. Uh, I'm not going to fault coaching staff for being as aggressive as possible in that situation. Yeah, and look, I so I I want to go through this just slightly because I, I have the post game numbers for for all the fourth downs now. Um, there is an argument to be made that hey, you had stopped them on the previous two drives. Uh, I think as a coaching staff, it is somewhat negligent to value the extremely small sample set that is the last two drives over like what you know about your defense for the entire season or even for the entirety of the whole game right um i think that's fairly important there uh to to consider like yes you stopped on the last two drives is a real reason to think that's going to continue going forward that's a sample set of two they can make adjustments as well and have throughout the game. Uh, you also have really struggled to move the ball and you had the ball in position, right? To uh, like you're at midfield. That's a lot more, that's better than your average starting field position on the day uh, by quite a bit. And the goal is to win, not to lose close, not to, not to tie. Remember, well, and you, you had found something. Yeah. And you had found something with what I will deem the varsity blues offense there. I mean, you, <laughs> and it is, uh, you found something with three on one and, and one on the other side and both dictating, uh, a matchup and kind of getting the, your, you know, your, uh, defensive counterpart to somewhat tip his hand as to what he's in. Um, again, I, I don't want to belabor the point. I, I just think it's a, if you're going to sit here and argue about that with a guy for 15 minutes or so, you need to acknowledge that, the fact that you were even in that situation is is fairly remarkable and fairly fortunate. I mean, I want to give the coaching staff credit uh, for what they did, and I'm not trying to to you know wash over that. But uh, I, I like like you said earlier. I think if you play this game ten times, NC State probably wins nine of them, and the average margin of victory is probably in the high teens, if not the twenties. Uh, I just think you were a bit fortunate to have the result that you did. So you, you need to, like, the, the goal is not to hold on, right? There's, a, like, a poker analogy, right? You have to understand when your opportunity is to go and win the game. And if it makes you sad that sometimes the opportunity to go and win the game is with, like, 12 minutes left, and if you don't get it, the game is probably over, okay. You have to understand when the actual opportunity is to win the game, Right? Hey, I'm catching a little bit of feedback. It may be my my AirPods. Are, uh, is your volume on your uh, um, your your headphones loud? Uh, like I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm not having okay. any audio cool. issues. Cool. You're not having any feedback, then that's that's cool. Um, 
So I want to go through a couple things here because people are like, hey, don't they realize they have McKenzie Milton in the game? And doesn't that affect their their chart? But Norvell addressed this yesterday. He said, look, we we use like common sense and understanding what is going on with the field. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hearing it anymore. So I think your mic was picking up uh, probably through your headphones, uh, if I had to guess. So, you know, Mike talked about this. Like they, they do use a chart. And I guarantee you they modify their their game book for the situations of the game because i know what the one i have access to looks like and theirs is more expensive and more customizable than mine and i guarantee you there says hey how many points have you scored how many how many yards do you have so far in this game what was the over under for the game which is basically like hey based on what we know about these two defenses and offenses how many points did you really expect to score in this game you know what i mean and how many points do you think you're going to need to score now? Uh, at the time, they had scored, what, 14? The opponent had scored 21, I think. And it was a clear, clear go. However, there were a couple other situations in this game that were also clear goes, and they did not go for them. Now, they're clear goes by my book. Here's where I'm going to tell you, I think that, that these are the McKenzie-Milton adjustments, meaning they realized their offense was going to suck probably, and didn't go for it. They were trying to gamble by punting. And in this case, under normal circumstances, the punt was the gamble, okay? The go for it was the safe move. That's, that's a, I know that's kind of like a thing. It's like people are going for it's a gamble. Not really. Punting the possession away is, is, is the gamble in these situations. So normally, I think Mike would have gone in the first quarter on his own 34, fourth and one, right? They're down seven. That's a common move for him. Fourth and one is is an auto go a lot of the time. And it should be because you're very, very likely to get fourth and one. They punted it. Okay. Now, you might tell me that's because of McKenzie. You might tell me that's because they didn't really know what they had in this offense in the first quarter. Coming off of like a week of kind of wasted practice because of everybody out being out with the flu. And I think it's a fair – like that is a coach going against the book or what the book normally tells you to do because of the the – uncertainty that is difficult to model based on like not having practice right yeah it's also trying to avoid getting knocked out in the first yeah. uh, 15 minutes of a game or something like I that. i think so but, yeah. all right next one uh 10 minutes left in the first quarter fourth and one again from their 39 that's a clear go if you look at the win probability change punting there decreases your win probability by four and a half percent it was actually the most impactful decision of the game fourth down wise Mike punted it. So if you're keeping score here, negative seven for negative 0.7 for the first one, negative 4.5 for the next one, Mike's two punt decisions cut down their win probability, according to the normal book, by 5.2% total. Now, I think you can make a real argument that Mike's using a little more common sense than just the straight book and saying, hey, we have McKenzie Milton. We don't know what we have in this offense. We didn't really get to practice this week, not, not much collectively. Let's go ahead and kind of get a feel for what we have. Okay. The next two, he obviously goes for. I don't hear a whole lot of people bitching about this one. So they're down 14 nothing. He's at his own 34, fourth and one. He goes, Jay Sean picks it up. Did you hear complaining about that one? No, because people are complaining about the result, not the decision, ultimately, is what, what we normally see. When you go for it on fourth down and you get it, you're a genius. When you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, you're a dumbass. And then you get somebody with, with a you know a YouTube show all drunk after the game ranting about it, right? So, you know, but but I didn't hear any, any, anything on, on on other 
other people's you know Twitter feeds about about the fourth downs they went for. How about this one? You know, fourth down, got to go for it. Oh, but you could kick a field goal to, to cut the 21-10. No, they go for it there, and they get it. All right. The next one actually is the one I think you would you probably have the biggest gripe with. So it's 21-14. There's 14 minutes left in the game. Ball on your own 35, fourth and one. They punt it. Model says that's the wrong decision. Model says you need to go for that. It's minus 2.2. Okay, that's a clear go. Mike still punted it. Now, let's look at the one that, that he went for that everybody was all pissed off about. Fourth and four. But it's from not from your own 30-something, right? It's from your own 43. There's eight minutes left in the game, 14 to 21. You're trying to win the game. This is the other thing I want to point out about this, and, and then I'll be done with my little rant here. A lot of people have this mindset of, hey, if you, you know, if you punt it away, you could still tie the game. Tying the game only gets you to overtime, where you probably have what, a 40% chance to win, maybe? If that. If so that. like you're so t- take your probability of, of tying it up if you punt, right? Which is whatever it is, and then multiply that by like 0.4. Because again, the goal is to win, not to just extend the game. You want to win it. Extending the game helps the better team because over a larger sample set, they're going to do better. You want to have the smaller sample set. You want to try have these things go in your favor. Um, so anyway, and then obviously uh, with, with when they were down uh, when, when they were down two scores, fourth and ten from seventy five, he punts. That's clearly a move of like we're not scoring. We're trying to not get blown out. Like at that point, the model says to go for it. It's a very a very, very, very small, uh, you know, sample there, or excuse me, very small difference between going for it and not going for it on fourth and ten, uh, down two scores at that point. Basically, the model says like your your chance to win the game is is essentially done, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so to recap this, there were uh, how many situations? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There were eight situations uh, in which the model said to go for it, right? This is the model I think FSU uses normally without the McKenzie-Milton adjustments. Mike only went for four of them. Hmm. He's definitely not being like, and first of all, I think punting is actually the aggressive move. Like going against the numbers is, it's like, hey, not doubling down when you should in blackjack, Hmm. right? Like that's an aggressive move. It's kind of a dumb move. Could work out for you in the long term, probably not. But like for the people that are saying, that he's too quote unquote aggressive, and I know what they mean. Like I think they're misusing the term aggressive, but that he's going for way too many fourth downs. I totally disagree. Like in this situation, he's clearly showing the ability to read the game state, apply internal factors and knowledge, and you know, incorporate elements that are happening in the game to make what he thinks is the best decision. There, um, four of eight is not uh, like this guy's not following the book all the time. I guarantee you that. Certainly not. That is good perspective. Uh, and I appreciate you bringing it to our audience. It does give you a, a, a much more, you know, broader look at the picture and a guy who's uh, very easily to tag, you know, aggressive on these fourth down decisions or whatever else. Gives you a little bit idea <clears throat> as to some of the other decisions that were made. And, and I think correctly, some of the decisions that were altered because of who your quarterback and other personnel are or were. Um, 
it's not breaking news that the wide receivers are not very good, but I mean, I, I know that's something that we and everybody else has talked about the team as detailed and in perspective or in, you know, ad infinitum. Um, I got to say something on, on Saturday. It was even, it was, it was special how bad that unit was. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen this. I don't, I'm not positive of this, but when I go back and look at this tape in detail, I'm pretty sure Florida State's trying to run a decent amount of kind of rub slash pick concepts. Oh yeah, and your wide receivers can't even get off the line of scrimmage because they're getting bullied so badly. I mean, I, I don't. I, again, I don't pay attention to other people's wide receivers as closely as I do Florida State, but I've watched an awful lot of college football in my 37 years of walking around on this planet, and I don't think I've ever seen a unit that can't even get out and run some of the simple pick concepts that you're trying to do offensively. I mean, in a second, let's talk about whether or not Florida State's recruiting their way out of this, because you certainly have to. It's uh, become uh, painfully obvious as to some of the uh, talent deficiencies that are on this roster. But what I saw out of those wide receivers on Saturday is a – tough, tough pill to swallow. And I, I think some of that's on coaching, but some of it, a lot of it is on guys that just don't have the physical ability to be playing wide receiver for Florida State. And it's, uh, it's almost unfair of, uh, of what you're asking them to do or to be overly critical of them. But it is a exceptionally disappointing unit. I, I totally agree. Um, there are a couple of really depressing elements in this game. Um, like you mentioned, their inability to run just like flat out pick routes at some point because they're they're getting jammed so hard. Like like if you if you look at it, like the slot just gets pressed back into the it, into the X. Um, that's pretty amazing. I don't know that they converted any third or fourth downs against man coverage. Uh, there was, and I will note this. Like, okay, a couple things to, to explain here. Number one, we knew going into the game typically that FSU was a bad team against man coverage. That that is that is pretty clear. Uh, I I don't have the pregame numbers, but I, I do have the numbers updated post game, and I will tell you that FSU is 110th in yards per pass attempt against man coverage, and they are 57th in yards per pass attempt against zone. Now, look, 57th isn't great, but 57th is is kind of about what this team is, right? Like, you, if you tell me it's a top 40 team in the country, you tell me it's like a top 60 team in the country, I'm right there with you. Sure, that's that's about right. Like, they're clearly, to me, a top half team in, in the nation based on how they've played. Uh, maybe not their record, but like the quality of play relative to the quality of opponent. NC State, in this game, they played a lot of man early. FSU did not, was, was not able to beat it for the most part. Then, uh, FSU did some creative stuff I thought to get to, I don't say trick, but like they, they kind of forced NC state to play some zone looks. This lasted for a little bit. Then at a certain point, and it was about like a 10 minute stretch in the third quarter. I think if I recall from the rewatch, I think NC state just said, screw it. We know it is not smart for us to play man against some of these looks that we should schematically play zone against. And we don't care. Right. We, you, you know that that, that meme uh, you probably see on Instagram the guy the guy with with the uh, the good voice we we don't care we're gonna play man against these zone these looks that, that the book says we should play zone against because we don't think you could do a damn thing against these man to man looks and they were right I mean that was that was tough uh, Jordan Travis makes this offense go right now 
and teams do not want to play that much man against him because they're turning their back and his scrambling ability right. is so damn good. We also saw the continued impact, and we got some blowback in the last YouTube video for the preview, literally, when when you and I said, yeah, without Jordan Travis in there, teams aren't really all that scared of these backs. And somebody hit us with some of the Jacksonville State stats. I was like, okay, well, thanks for playing. Uh, in this game, you saw it again. To be I, fair to the backs, I, w- I would have loved to have seen what they could have done with the two guards. Uh, that's that, their that, point, for that's sure. That's the thing that really does hurt, and you just can't get anything going in the first half of a running game. Uh, it, it was, again, in a game that wasn't short on embarrassments, it was, uh, it was, it was frustrating to see how ineffective the run was, particularly without both Jordan and without Gibbons or uh, 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 healthy love Taylor or, or Bavion. Uh, <clears throat> again, I don't want to make too much out of Bavion, but if you go back and look at the NC, uh, the UNC game rather than the NC State game, uh, guy's a pretty effective run blocker. He's pretty good, big frame, strong, decent hands. Again, I'm not making it out as though he's drive blocking some, you know, five yards back into the backers or something like that, but pretty effective at just controlling a defensive lineman, kind of turning him and creating a little bit of a run lane. Um, hopefully those are two guys that could be back for this weekend, and obviously we'll have a full and, and detailed Miami preview to come later in the week. But uh, big big loss uh, without having your two guards there as well. They, they need to get at least one of those guys back. Uh, that's, that's for sure problematic. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to jump into the Miami preview now, uh, but you know, it, it'll be... It'll be interesting. Uh, Miami plays a whole lot of man coverage, so they're going to have to find a way to beat that. Miami is actually uh, 18th in percentage of man coverage played, which is more than NC State normally does. So Miami's playing a lot of man. The difference is Miami is not as good at man coverage as NC State is. Like They play a lot, but their their defense is not as good as NC State's and certainly not as good as Clemson's defense was. So... Uh, you asked if they are recruiting their way out of the receiver problem. I think it's TBD. Uh, if you bring in Destin Hill and Mortimer, then I think that's a nice step in the right direction. Personally, Mortimer's having a really nice year and gives you a speed element that I don't think you really have on this offense. Destin Hill, we haven't seen play in a year, so I'm not going to tell you that he's an instant impact guy. I think that's kind of irresponsible to, to guarantee that. Uh, but, I mean, his – his high school stuff was pretty damn nice. And assuming they get him in in the spring, and that's what the staff's planning on, from what I've been told, yeah. uh, he he could certainly help you. And then they will need to uh, hit the portal again. And uh, we, we already had the, hey, if you're a receiver, why are you going to come to FSU in the portal conversation? Uh, I think two episodes ago, because they really don't, they don't have much proof concept throwing the football right now. I would show them this tape, though. I would show them wide receivers that just oh, yeah. physically are manhandled. And maybe that has something to do with – you know, your leading wide receiver having 16 catches on the year or whatever it is at this point. Um, frustrating conversation about the uh, NC State game in general. One small piece of uh, good news that we got out of North Carolina recently. Greg and Suzanne want to congratulate them. I believe these are our first North Carolina buyers since uh, our good friends Shannon and Chad uh, opened up that uh, space, so to say. Uh, so, again, whether you're in, what, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, uh, there are no better people to work with. Shannon is, uh, you know, one of the bigger go-getters that I've encountered in my life. He's, uh, he'll respond to you with a quickness. And, uh, as my co-host can attest to is, uh, is literally an expert in the field and an expert in the field that I think at this point only handles Noel cast leads. So, 
you get to work with Chad and Shannon, and uh, you get to work with a guy who's not only thorough and quick, uh, but uh, you know is a is a senior producer and uh, is going to be able to guide you through the process with experience that uh, others may not be able to offer. You get to speak with the manager, basically. Like he, he's he's managing stuff, and then and then, then he keeps all the no cast leads as his side gig. Yeah, yeah that that you, you don't get Shannon otherwise. It, it's it's like a special like. Do you know the extension? Otherwise, you got to go through the phone tree. Everybody knows the extension eight four four FSU loan. Um, where do you want to go now? I don't want to completely what, leave recruiting because I do want to. We touched the position. But obviously, that's a theme that can apply to the entirety of the roster. You know, wide receiver may be a particular tough pill to swallow when it comes to looking at what you really have here. But it's a it's a problem overall. And um, I mean, I don't think anybody is seriously, you know, absent. Maybe you know, nine o'clock at night after you've had a couple bourbons after a disappointing loss on Saturday. I don't think anybody's really sitting there talking about moving on from this coaching staff at this point in time. Um, I do want to point out that if they sign this class, and I don't think it's going to be a top 10 class, I think it'll land probably somewhere between 13 and 16, 13 and 17, that it will almost be unprecedented as to the level of success that they had on the recruiting trail when compared to the level of success on the field. So you have to give them credit. Obviously, there's some... uh, you know, there's a friendly bounce or two out there when it comes to like having a kid like Travis Hunter that just loves Florida State at a in a manner that honestly is probably more than some of our listeners do. Um, and you lucked out there, but still, you got to give credit to the staff if they're ultimately able to have uh, keep this class together and have success. Uh, that they will have done something that really there's not a whole lot of historical precedent to. All right, so let's go ahead and run a query here uh, on recruiting uh, classes in the early signing period era. So that is 2018 to present. Uh, you said 13 to 17, right? Somewhere let's in that just, area. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and go uh, um, go 17th or better so that I, I don't miss anything that's like a true outlier. Uh, okay, I'm going to put in head coach seasons at school minimum two. Right. Uh, Ingram um, and loss or excuse me, wins before the bowl game. What do you want to say here? Uh, Three or four or fewer to account for them. Maybe winning one more game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Results not found. (laughs) It's a quick search. Quick search. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, its results not found. We have seen a four-win team sign a top uh, 15 class before uh, one time, and that was the Mullen class coming off the McIlwain disaster. But he, but he, his head coach seasons at the school were zero. Mm-hmm. So that was basically just you know maybe holding class together. And ultimately, what we saw with that class is that it sucks. Like it's part of the reason why Mullen, not all of it, but part of the reason why Mullen is struggling there in Gainesville right now. The point of this is that clearly what Mike and his guys are doing right now on the recruiting trail relative to the record is unprecedented. I, I don't uh, – let me look here. South Carolina uh, in the 2019 class, so that would have been – okay, so Muschamp was still there. They went 4-8, and eight and they signed the number 19 class uh, 
that was after his fourth season at the school. It's actually fairly impressive to go four and eight after four years, clearly be on the hot seat and then still sign that, right? Um, anyway, what, what Mike is doing here is is unprecedented. Uh, what FSU needs right now are a couple things. Stability, some talent development and teaching to the extent you think the current guys on this roster are going to be around when, when the next good team comes along, which I think some of them will, but my thoughts on this are pretty well known. I don't think they're going to be a good team next year. I think you need to be looking 23-24 because of the long-term nature of this rebuild, because of decisions you made, not necessarily wrong ones, but ones we've gone over this a lot of times. If you're a new, but it's everybody's podcast is somebody's first, right? You know, I think we've been pretty clear on this. You can't, you can't a coach after just two years in early signing period, following a time when your previous coach wasn't really recruiting in 2017, and you have a lot of cultural issues that you got to clean up too. It's going to take time. It just is. You, you got to recruit your way out of this, uh, and you hopefully you bring those recruits into a culture that you're happy with. I think they're pretty happy with their culture overall right now. I'm not saying everybody on this roster they love, but I think it's that is trending in the right direction. You get you get a little talent infusion. You back it up with another solid class you know, the, the, the next year. Um, and if you have a really nice year on the field in 2023, maybe you can bring in some like real difference makers in that class, right? Um, so that's kind of the path to return to it. And again, you'd be a moron to ax a guy, which they won't do, pretty much guarantee you this, unless, you know, Mike goes out and kills somebody with an ax. And then obviously, like that, then you would ax him. I have to be um, something that transpired off the football field at this point. Right. Um, and an ax murderer would qualify. Just yeah, I, right. I just, yes. I just had an ax in my head, that right? Would, uh, <laughs> that would probably do it. Um, all right. So, um, yeah, well, obviously recruiting is going to be a massive point of focus for both this podcast and this program, and uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to lean on Bud's experience as a, a national recruiting advisor, and we'll look forward to bringing you as much information as possible. And that's a it's a fun period of time, and it's a fun time as a fan base to be able to look at closing out a top 10, 15, 20 class. We'll see where it lands. But uh, that is certainly the, the beacon of optimism that we uh, all hope continues to uh, to burn bright. So uh, we'll thank our friends at Congruity, uh, fantastic partnership for us, and we would think would be a great partnership for you and your business, uh, whether it be help with payroll or uh, HR solutions. Uh, Congruity is, is designed to do nothing but enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce your risk as a business. Again, we've uh, we thank the world of Matt Lewis and his team, and we think that it would uh, be nothing but of a benefit for you and your business to spend 10 minutes to explore whether or not uh, the partnership that exists with us and Matt uh, could exist with you. So congruityhr.com is the website. Phone number is 844-247-4100. And as always, if you feel more comfortable reaching out to me directly uh, to create a, uh, a more informal uh, setting or meeting for you guys, feel free to do so. But thanks again, as always, to our friends at Congruity. All right, uh, what do you want to get into now? We have what some – did you see a couple coaching decisions I, I thought maybe we should get into um, ever so briefly, still your term? Florida made some coaching moves, uh, and so did Nebraska. Nebraska this year – let's put aside some of the coaching decisions Scott Frost made against Ohio State because I, I thought that was kind of egregious. But 
Nebraska is uh, an interesting case. They made a coaching change uh, before, just right before the early signing period in 2018, much like FSU did. Their 2018 class was fairly highly ranked. They are getting nothing from it, much like FSU is not getting anything from its 2018 class, nor not a whole lot from its 2020 class, which is another transition class. Um, Nebraska, though, has shown improvement, much like FSU has. Obviously, FSU's made less improvement, less timeline as well. Nebraska this year, quality of play-wise, if you look at FEI or SP+, they're 24th, and their record is 3-7. and seven. I it's think this is, a, this is a smart thing, though, that their AD did to say, hey, we're going to go ahead and keep this guy, despite the fact that we're going 3-7. and seven. It's frustrating to watch this team not be able to pull off these wins. Much like FSU, Nebraska has played a difficult schedule. Nebraska's a better team than FSU. I, I think Nebraska will be favored by, I don't know, about a touchdown, I would guess. Um, this is an administration looking under the hood as opposed to just at the record. And the record matters. It does. It should. Because fans aren't going to look under the hood. But if you're making you know, a $50 million decision, which all told when you fire the coach and the staff and you got to go hire the new guy and, and all the different changes that come with that, you better be looking at more than just record. You better be looking under the hood. That's what, that's what FSU did when it fired Willie, right? It wasn't just the record. Um, now, some of the reasons given, obviously, were, were record-based. Did you pause or freeze? Okay, no, you're there. Cool. You're very stoic for a second, bro. Um, I think Nebraska's going to set the record for, like, the most expected wins minus actual wins because they should be six and – they should be uh, six and four, and instead they're three and seven. Uh, but they're playing at a high level. Now, he did make them make some offensive changes uh, there. Anyway, I just think it's it's encouraging that more ADs are looking – probably more at the quality of play metrics than they are just purely the record, or at least using that as a piece of their, uh, of their puzzle when they're making these decisions. Florida, meanwhile, I thought Mullen was a good fit for Florida when they hired him. He obviously has had very good results on the whole at UF. Uh, but a couple things we were, when they hired him, we said, oh, we'll see how he recruits, right? He recruited well for Mississippi State standards at Mississippi State. Could he translate that and do better when he put on the Gators polo? The logo matters. It is not really translated enough, certainly. He has not taken advantage of the recruiting uh, that you should be able to take advantage of in this state with FSU and Miami being so down. We saw Bowden do this when Spurrier wasn't really in on recruiting a little bit more in the late 90s before he went to Washington. Uh, and you know, obviously Miami was having uh, some transition stuff off sanctions. We saw Urban Meyer do this when you had very late stage, or late, not late stage, late career Bowden uh, and like Larry Coker slash Randy Shannon there uh, in Miami. You also saw Miami take advantage of this uh, some at different parts. So Mullins kind of missed that window to really clean up in recruiting in the state. And I think it was a very tough decision he had to make. I mean, he fired a guy who has been his offensive line coach. You know how these offensive coordinators are with their offensive line coach of choice. And I think Hevesy is a good coaching coach. Not a great recruiter, obviously. But he's been with Dan Mullen since Bowling Green in 2001. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a 20-year, like, hey, we're in each other's weddings type, right. you know, type move. 
So he fired him, and he fired Todd, Gra- Todd Grantham. Um, I'm a little surprised Florida just didn't just rip the Band-Aid there after that loss because I think Mullen is a good X's and O's coach. But if you lose like that, and that to me was the first loss that Florida took, I will say, in which I felt like they were like legitimately dominated. The Kentucky loss was very fluky. The LSU loss, they gave up some rushing yards, but they also had three turnovers returned, if not for touchdowns, like very deep in their own territory. They played Bama to a, a two-point conversion. Down-to-down basis, they were pretty much fine against Georgia until some crazy turnover stuff happened. South Carolina whipped that ass. Yeah. And that, that to me, is a team that kind of quit. And I know they had flu as well, like FSU did, so we should give them that, you know, that break, obviously. Um, and if they had flu later in the week, it probably affected them more. I know Mullins said they had a bunch of guys on IVs and how they had to fly them separately. You know, we'll see. Um, I just thought that was that was interesting. Um, significant. Significant, I agree. Interesting. Also, very rare that you get a head coach to part with a coordinator and a longtime position coach, and there's not an implication that he's coming back uh, next year. Now, if they, you know, if they take a goose egg or Florida State wins by 21 in the swamp or something like that, I'm not dismissing that this story can't be circled back to, but – uh, the general playbook is when you get concessions like that made, you are allowing for another year of the head coach. So uh, something to look for, and um, this is not me thumping my chest, but I, I've talked about it since the beginning of the season. It's just something strange going on in, in Gainesville, and it seems to have kind of, uh, you know, a couple of tough losses, uh, tough losses from the standpoint of how well they played, and they ended up losing, and then one you know, strange blowout in, in South Carolina has kind of brought everything to light, seemingly. So uh, we'll have to see. And never, a, you know, Florida State certainly doesn't have its own problems, but uh, never never a bad time as a Florida State fan to sit there and uh, enjoy some of the challenges that are going on in Gainesville right now. Um, but I think we'll probably have to hold the listener questions to the Miami preview. We'll put together a longer, more comprehensive uh, pod there, but we did just want to get something out to you uh, here this morning. Uh, credit to Bud. This was early for both of us, but Bud's central time, so it's even earlier for him to uh, make this work. Appreciate you doing it, and uh, I know our, our listeners enjoy being able to have something available for them on Tuesday morning. So from myself, from Bud, everybody else involved in the podcast, we certainly thank you. We ask that you keep our friends uh, Madison Social and Township in mind if you're going to the game uh, this weekend and and uh, visit them and enjoy the great services that they offer. Uh, but for the two of us, this has been a Nolcast, and we'll be back to talk to you in the next couple of days for a full Miami preview.